to JJ Harkin for keeping us entertained on this bank holiday Monday. A very happy Halloween to one and all. Shane Dawson alongside Ruby Walsh taking you through the bank holiday evening. Ruby, we have lots to get through. We'll be chatting cricket, golf, rugby, soccer and Kevin Manning is going to join us as well. Yeah, very kindly say take a call around about 6.30ish or there, thereabouts depending on how well you and I can stick the time. Shane, we have a chance but is not here. That'll be about 6.50. Um, if she was but um, yeah look incredible career that he, he bowed out this afternoon so he's going to take a quick call and can't wait to talk to him absolutely well Ruby let's get right stuck in Game On on 2FM Yes, good evening. It is uh, great to have your company on this uh, bank holiday uh, Monday evening. No trick-or-treating with the kids for yourself, Ruby, tonight, no? I, I forgot, actually, this year, Shane, that oh. um, Halloween night fell on the Monday night, and I forgot to book it off. So I am here with you, and my wife has just gone out the door with um, our four children, two cousins, and one or two friends. So they have headed for the village for trick-or-treating in the lashing rain, and um, I have dodged it as I got the daggers as my wife left. Okay, okay. Well, sure, look, you know, what, what better way to spend a bank holiday evening with myself, Ruby, you know? It's been a while. It's been a while since I've had your company. In fact, know, yeah. you know, not not to have a bone to pick with you, but I believe the last time we were on, a few months ago now, you were giving it to vegan, having a go at me over shells and their form. Well, now we're going to be chatting to Pearl Slattery later on, fresh from the women's team winning the league uh, title on Saturday and the men's team scoring six goals in a 6-0 win on Friday, Ruby. Oh, like the Pat Fenland days, like the Pat Fenland days. <laughs> <laughs> it is the glory days. Listen, um, we are going to be chatting to Nathan uh, Johns in, in a few moments on Ireland in the T20 uh, Cricket World Cup. But I do want to give a, a quick mention to Melbourne Cup because I was chatting to Jane on Friday evening. Uh, so the Melbourne Cup, one of the biggest horse races in the world. It's on at what, around 4am in the, in the morning? 4am, yeah. Um, and I have gotten myself out of bed in the last couple of years to watch it when there was Irish runners. Unfortunately, no Irish runners this year. There is European involvement. Dubai, Dubai legend, Dovil legend even, um, is set to start favour for James Ferguson Kieran McAvoy the ace Aussie rider takes the mount on him he's the 11-4 favourite and the second favourite is also English trained trained by Simon Egg Crisford without a fight William Buick takes the mount on him he's a 10-1 to one shot that just tells you how strongly fancied Deauville legend is there is Irish interest Johnny Allen who served his time as an apprentice with Francis Crowley is, and been playing his trade in Australia for years now and doing it very well. Um, he rides Serpentine for Robert Hickmott. Um, he's a bit of an outsider, but Serpentine only got into the Melbourne Cup with a good run on Saturday at Flemington. So he's got a penalty, jumped a few of the others and got himself into the Melbourne Cup. And it is an incredible occasion to go to, Shane. And there will be a lot of expats in Flemington. Uh, for what will be the afternoon for them but early morning for us unfortunately no Irish interest but hopefully there will be again soon Okay, plenty of people enjoying themselves Ruby Oh without doubt <laughs> it's incredible crowd, noise, atmosphere um, it is some day out and they say it's the race that stops a nation you're thinking how can any horse race stop a nation but it does Okay, we shall move on to cricket because I can uh, say Nathan Johns of the Irish Times joins us and I do have to apologise if anyone saw my tweet earlier teeing up what's on the show because I have tagged Nathan Johns from San Jose, California who pays attention to detail in his Twitter bio which is something I obviously don't so Nathan I do apologise if, if you did notice that tweet and said we're going to be chat chatting cricket with someone that uh, supports the San Francisco Giants and hashtag beer but however I, that is besides the point because uh, Ireland were playing in the T20 World Cup uh, this morning Nathan and unfortunately we came up short against Australia 
Yeah, they, they certainly did this morning. It was a bit of a bit of a strange game uh, in that the final margin was 42 runs. They lost by, which on paper is a bit of a hammering, but they actually um, they probably weren't actually that un- uncompetitive in the game, which was really strange. It was just three three individual overs. The 15th over ball by Mark Adair went for 26 runs, and that set Australia up for quite a big score. And then they lost four wickets in the space of two overs of so 12 balls and with the bat and, and that was that and now Norton Tucker played an excellent knock of 71 not out and to be honest he actually played so well that they turned their losing position into one of those where you're thinking hang on you know with a couple of minutes to go here if he stays in they might have a chance but he just ran out of, ran out of partners everyone else down the other end uh, you know was dismissed and, and that was that so it was a strange game not as uncompetitive as the as the scoreline would suggest but equally you know a pretty pretty disappointing result all things considered just reading Andrew Balburney, uh, his comments afterwards where he was talking about some of those wickets that fell early for Ireland and he thought some of them should not have happened or may not have happened. What exactly went wrong? Uh, he's just talking about shot selection and just and lads probably getting out to deliver, getting themselves out rather than, than, than bowlers getting them out, if that makes sense. He, he mentioned himself, uh, you know, he, 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 he was playing a shot that he plays very well. Uh, but it is quite a high-risk shot, especially early on when you're not set. Generally, uh, look, they like to play high-risk cricket these days. So it's one of those where he normally plays it well, but he, he didn't play it well on this occasion. It's twice now this tournament he's he's gotten out playing that shot, but he's also scored a, a lot of runs doing so. So it's one of those catch-22s where you probably always err on the side of aggression, and, and, you, and you go right, you might get out a few times, but equally, it's successful. And then the other two he's talking about were uh, Glenn Maxwell, Australia's spinner, got Paul Sterling and Harry Tector out in the same over with. I don't want to say rank rank deliveries, but they're deliveries that top-class batsmen that these guys are should be punishing rather than getting out to. Let alone, you know, worst-case scenario, getting one or two. Not, you know, what about whatever about hitting boundaries? So, the three dismissals there were the ones probably he's referencing that, again, just not so much skill from Australia, but more so just basic mistakes from Ireland. Well, funny you should mention Andrew Balberni, gents. We can hear from the man himself now. I think there were two or three dismissals that we maybe could have done a bit better, but. At the same time, I don't really like dwelling too much on the Smiths because he can't really do anything. Um, certainly, that Mitchell Stark over swung the momentum completely in their favour. Quick in swing at the stumps is, you know, it's not easy, but um, that's why he's one of the best bowlers at that. Um, but yeah, I think the start being five down for not a lot. Um, we were certainly staring down the barrel, but showed a bit of fight there towards the end and managed to stay in the game. So we can't really dwell on the past, Nathan. And that defeat now leaves us, well, I suppose Ireland are able to reach a maximum of five points, which is a mark already achieved by Australia and New Zealand. So if Ireland are to qualify for the semi-final stage, they need to win their final game uh, against New Zealand, which is on Friday, and hope other results go their way and rely on a net run rate. So I would say it's very hopeful uh, at best. Yeah, it's, it's almost impossible mathematically at this stage. I haven't even bothered to look at the, the results that need to go their way because they probably need some, they need some teams to get rained off because you know, they need both, both sides playing to avoid maximum points and then they need you know, teams like Sri Lanka and Afghanistan probably to pull off a couple of upsets but then if they pull off some upsets and they start climbing up the table it's all very congested so I think I saw somewhere it's less than 5% chance of them uh, making it so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very tricky one and Australia are playing Afghanistan last and I think that if Australia beat that which they should um, that would be Ireland out. So look, it's it's unlikely at, at, at 
in the best case scenario, it's it, it's unlikely rather than impossible. But um, look, this the, this qualif- this Super 12 stage was a bit of a free hit for them. They've set it themselves a few times now. The main goal was just to get through the initial qualifiers um, and stay here for an extra two weeks, which they've done, and then try and get a couple of scalps. And you know that England scalp obviously is is top of the list there. So they got a chance to do one more one more against uh, New Zealand next Friday. Bit of a break now between between matches um, so they'll be backing themselves there's no doubt about that but New Zealand are actually probably one of the better sides in the tournament they've already beaten Australia quite comfortably um, earlier on in the tournament so qualification's probably gone but as always there's a chance for another another big upset Look we're not exactly uh, cricketing stronghold we are improving and getting better but getting to the Super 12s and beating England playing Australia playing New Zealand what does it do for cricket in Ireland how does it promote the game will it get more people playing more finance does it does it help the game it has that so it, do, it does and it doesn't it helps the game in that it gets its five minutes of fame in the sun every time you beat England or you know 2007 they had the famous win against Pakistan 2011 England 2015 the West Indies so it's been quite a while that they've actually been getting one of these famous wins every now and then it's done a lot for coverage it's done a lot for eyeballs it's done a lot for the individual players and you know it boosts their social media following and probably gets them a few contracts over in, in leagues abroad and that type of thing in terms of the actual game itself it's difficult to say how much it's actually grown um, because you know Ireland has been going through such a such a big state of flux ever since they got test cricket and had to all of a sudden start relying on its own uh, player development rather than sending lads over to England which had been the case beforehand um, well not entirely but for the, for the better players that was the case uh, the one thing I would say is this is massive because it's T20 cricket and that's the shortest format um, it's that the games are only three hours long so people who say why would you go watch cricket it's only five it's five days long this is obviously a lot more accessible for that audience um, and Ireland have never had this level of success at the shortest format so People are more willing to watch it because it's shorter, so it should, in theory, get more people going, thinking, you know, this isn't as long as normal, this is a bit easier to watch. And equally, hopefully, by that measure, getting people playing and then going to watch when the games are in Ireland. Um, So I think this World Cup does actually have a better chance of boosting both participation and people going to watch Ireland in Dublin or Belfast, wherever they're playing, purely because it's the shortest format and it'll make a lot of people realise that it's a a lot easier to digest than test cricket so. absolutely well Nathan Johns of the Irish Times thank you very much for taking the call really uh, appreciate it uh, and as we mentioned there Ireland continue their Super 12 campaign in the T20 World Cup on Friday against New Zealand uh, Ruby we're going to be chatting rugby next in the company of Stephen Ferris big weekend in the URC and of course a small matter of the November internationals to look forward to Game on Rugby Welcome back to Game On, where we are going to turn to rugby and talk about last weekend's URC action. I believe it was round seven of the URC. Next weekend, of course, is the Autumn Internationals. A much changed URC, plenty of internationals missing Stephen Ferris, but Leinster just hopped across the Irish Sea to the Scarlets, brought back in Reese Ruddock, and they look pretty much the same without all their stars. Yeah, they did. Reese Ruddock, um, a guy who I know pretty well from back playing uh, with Ireland back in the day Ruby and an absolute gentleman of a fella but what a competitor still going strong leading from the front uh, the scarlet yet again you know ill-disciplined absolutely costing them just too many yellow cards and they got 10 yellow cards and 2 red cards so far this season and they're rock bottom of the table uh, and Leinster they didn't have to be at their best with a, a lot of guys who are getting opportunities but they ran out victorious and um, you know in the end they they just held out the Scarlets. The Scarlets actually played their better rugby when they went down a couple of men in the game. Um, but Leinster, very, very good. I'm sure Leo Cullen will be very happy considering he was missing a you know, shed load of players. 
New rulings, penalty tries, automatic yellow cards. I felt slightly sorry for the first Scarlets player. To me, he went to play the ball and just didn't catch it on the second one. With the TMO and with the way rugby refereeing has gone, could that one have been debatable or is it just black and white? Um, No, I think every decision can be debatable. I know we'll talk briefly about the the Monster Ulster game. Um, There were some dubious referee refereeing calls there uh, especially the red card which we're, you know, we'll probably touch on briefly but yeah in, in this in the Scarlet game to be honest Ruby I don't think it would have mattered too much in the end but what it does is it heaps more pressure on the Dwayne Peel um, the Scarlet's head coach obviously was at, at Ulster a couple of years ago um, some really good results with Ulster um, the lads loved working with him and you know then he was Cardiff bound and then there was a bit of a U-turn and he, he went to the Scarlet's but it hasn't worked out well for him for him at the minute. Um, you know, some of his his main players, you know, via Fafita, the, the second row, he's been banned. Loisi, the other second row, he's been banned. Uh, and I actually feel a little bit sorry for Dwayne Peel because, you know, the players are letting him down week in and week out. Stephen, we will mention uh, the Ulster victory, of course. I'm sure it'll be uh, delighted to hear that, as you alluded to there. But but just on that refereeing subject as well, is it concerned the implementation of rules and the perhaps lack of consistency and the the calls that at the end of the day, when when in theory, you know, I'd love to be just chatting about Leinster really good. What's wrong with Munster? Ulster, how good are Ulster? But yet the conversation is centred around officiating again. Yeah, like I think I don't know whether it's football or rugby or whatever sport there seems to be um, you know a difference of opinion when it comes to laws and rules and you know in, in the Ulster game you know Frank Murphy was a referee you know, very experienced he's going to be refereeing in the Autumn uh, Nation Series as well I think his first match is, is the England-Argentina game and like there's just for some reason, I don't I don't understand why referees before they actually go out to referee a match go right. Okay, it's absolutely lashing it down with rain. Now let's take that into consideration. Okay, all the internationals are away. Let's take that into consideration. Um, you know what way the wind. Let's take that into consideration. You know, so if a line out, for example, and it's blowing a fifty mile an hour wind, if it's slightly slightly crooked, just let it play on. Just you know because the decisions are going to even themselves out as the game goes on and. I think in the Connacht Ospreys game as well, there was a few decisions that could have went either way. But you know, the referee in that game, he just let things flow. It was a much better game of rugby to watch. Um, you know, and Frank Murphy was was penalising um, all over the place at times, and you know, it was very stop start. Would you be for the spirit of the rules as much as the law of the rules? Then, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you look at the best referees in in, in the world are the ones that. Continue, you know, let the game flow. They lay down a marker early on in the game, Ruby. Give a couple of penalties. Then, then the lads know what they're going to be hot on. And then, you know, for example, it's just like in the uh, I watched the Glasgow game um, on Friday night against Benetton, and they ended up hawking them in the end. But there was a one of the Benetton players was lying on the wrong side for a split second, trying his hard out, hard out to try and get away. Where you know, Nigel Owens would have just said, "Number three, move out of the way." Instead of just giving a penalty and you know then kicking to the corner, slowing the game down even more, fans, kids, you know everybody watching the game, they want to see a high tempo, high paced game, and uh, you know I think referees at time need to take into consideration the weather conditions, the players, uh, and a few other things that go along with it. 
common sense, I do believe that's called. If it, yes, it, exactly, Ruby. Word, yeah. It's like Miss Missing and Racing to Stephen Norry. <laughs> that red card, you wanted to talk about it, you brought it up, go on, get it off your chest. It's a stonewall red card. It's absolute stonewall red card. That's exactly the type of tackle that we want to eradicate from the game of rugby. Um, he, um, he gets himself into a brilliant possession. Fekatoa, sorry, gets himself into a brilliant possession ready to explode into the tackle except they explode straight up and he hits Dave McCann straight on the cheekbone like with his shoulder and you know Frank Murphy was talking about mitigation the change of angle I said it on the TV the whole point of rugby is to try and beat the defender like when you're carrying the ball you're not just going to try and run through them all the time you're going to try and sidestep you're going to try and get um, a bit of space so like it's all the responsibility lies with the tackler in that situation and for me I don't believe he is a dirty player I believe he's an explosive he's a hard player um, but he just got it wrong and I don't know Ruby if that was a full strength monster team against a full strength Ulster team in a quarter final of a European Cup I think that would have been a red card a very valid conversation and one I'm sure that will continue for, for weeks and months to come but gents I do want to chat about the, the rugby on show and Stephen Ferris also claimed a one point victory in a, in that Interpro uh, down in Limerick how impressive were Ulster and how worried would you be about Munster? Uh, to, to be honest even though Munster um, lost the game I've I, you know, seen a lot of things during that game that has given me a, a much more hope this week and the way they threw the ball around um, created a number of opportunities again a lack of discipline um, cost them in certain areas Ulster just resorted back to their mall their trusty mall that's got them so many tries over the last couple of seasons drummed into them by Dan McFarland um, and yeah they, they were pretty strong in the opening 15 or 20 minutes like you would expect and Nathan Doak missed three kicks at goal I know two of them were, were pretty difficult but that's six points it could have been you know, 21 uh, up on the scoreboard early on and, and they didn't and then they, they held on for dear life. Uh, and that's exactly what they did in the second half. Munster came back. The crowd got behind them. Um, they showed a, a bit of fight like they always do. And uh, yeah, I think there was a lot more to take out of that game for, for Munster than there was for Ulster. I kind of felt the same watching Connacht. 12 nil down after eight minutes. Heads didn't drop. And they got themselves back into it. They seemed to be finding a bit of form as well. They beat the Ospreys 22-19. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with the Ospreys. I'm um, sorry, with Connor against the Ospreys. Um, watched the game in studio. It was a fast-flowing game. Ospreys out of the blocks. Um, Ruben Morgan Williams, the, the scrum half for for the Ospreys, was was grease lightning. First everything in the opening twenty, and it looked like it was going to be a hard night for for the Osprey or for for Connor and Morgan Morris, the number eight. He made a mistake on the line. The ball popped out. Um, you know, John Porch get in for that try and then Keelan Blade, uh, you know, uh, as well get in for a crack and try. And I just think that Connacht are, have been building uh, momentum. You know, Andy Friend was asked in his pre-match interview that, you know, a lot of people have said that Connacht, um, you know, have been really inconsistent this season. And he said, well, I disagree. And, you know, we were like, well, can you elaborate? And he was like, well, I think... Yes, in the first couple of two games of the season, we weren't our best, but we've continually got better. And for me, that's not inconsistency. And it's hard to, it's hard to disagree with that. Um, you know, go to the Ospreys, get a result. I know the Ospreys were missing, what, 11 or 12 international players, but it's a hard place to go. Really greasy ball with the football uh, pitch there at the Swansea.com stadium. So, uh, you know, fair play to Connacht. 
Jack Carley I thought was absolutely immense you know considering his season hasn't really got up and running yet he was brilliant kicking you know kicking the ball all over the place off the left foot off the right foot putting the ball into space as well um, he was top drawer so when he plays well Connor play well just on Jack Carty there, where is he in Ireland's pecking order for number 10? In, in your opinion now, not not where Andy Farrell sees him. Well, like 12 months ago, I, I probably thought he was third choice, like, um, and he seems to have you know dropped below that, below that now. And I think he was out for a period of time at the start of the season with a hand or a wrist injury. And yeah, he's only a few games under his belt. He's been playing in a monsoon of Weller down in, in Galway the last couple of games and then you know gets over to Swansea and the, the Weller was certainly a lot better and he, he seemed to thrive away from home maybe not as much pressure either but yeah it, it's really tough to say you know Frawley seems to have I don't know been talked into the in, in, into that number 10 jersey is he third choice now behind Joey Carberry and Johnny Sexton he's had a couple of good games he's played fullback you know he's played 12 um, we haven't seen a lot of him at 10 but we all know that he's got the credentials to step up and he's just that type of mercurial player that you, you, you know you don't see that often so yeah it's you know Harry Byrne you know he, he's kind of he dropped off the face of the earth like over the last uh, year since you know everybody was talking him up so there are lots of options but there's nobody of the same quality as Johnny Sexton and unfortunately that's where we're at at the minute yeah, absolutely. So all Irish provinces uh, on different journeys, it's fair to say. So we go into the international break with wins for Connacht, Leinster and Ulster. Uh, final question, because uh, we have to move on to chat to uh, golf and a small matter of Seamus Perra's PGA Tour uh, victory. But are you going into this international window now, the Autumn Series, with uh, hope and positivity, Stephen? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> you're off the back of a, a series win in New Zealand. It hasn't been done since 1994 when France went over and got the results. Um, you know, we're, we're the number one side in the world. We're first in the rankings, South Africa number three. So bring it on. Um, as, as much as we can chat about Fiji and we can chat about Australia uh, in the last game, we all know that this South African game, South African game is the most important game. Um, and, you know, if we can do a job on them, there's a couple of players, of course, for Ireland that have had very little or no game time this, this season in the URC. Um, and they might be wheeled out, you know, to play against South Africa just because of you know what they've achieved in the green jersey over the last six months. So we'll see what the team sheet reads out on on Thursday afternoon when it comes. But uh, yeah, I'm very positive. And you know, when you have Johnny Sexton leading the charge um, with the captain's armband on and playing some very good rugby this season, uh, I think he fills everybody full of hope. I'm sure like the rest of us, Stephen, you can't wait for that team sheet on Thursday afternoon. Thanks a million for taking our call. As we, as Shane said, we have to jump on to golf and Seamus Power's victory in the Port Royal Golf Course at the weekend in Bermuda. His second win on the PGA Tour. Gary Murphy joins us on the line. Barbasol last year, Bermuda this year. The sense of security must be immense for Seamus Power now. Absolutely unbelievable, yeah. Can you hear me there, Ruby? Yeah, we have you now, Shane, uh, Gary. Thanks very much. Yeah, I, I just have said yeah, the sense of security. I'm, I'm, I mean, to, to have his to guarantee mm. himself to be on the tour. He's not playing year in year anymore. He's guaranteed to be there till twenty twenty five. That must be some relief. It is because uh, you know, as you were saying, with there's winning in Turkey <clears throat> or in Kentucky, which is a long way from Turkey. But uh, a couple of years back, you know, that exemption was running out. So. Yeah, it's not that you think like that, but it's kind of in the back of your mind. Um, 
and he was out of 48 in the world rankings. So, as you know, at the end of the year, you know, the top 50 in the world rankings get in pretty much wherever you want. But the way, even though he did have a brilliant season on, um, on the PGA Tour last year, you know, the wind just elevates him up again. So he can kind of pick and choose. He has that sense of security, which is kind of just in the background now, where, you know, had he got off to a sluggish start of the year and, you know, wasn't getting into the bigger events, you know, things can kind of fester and stuff. And that's that's gone there for three years. So he's uh, <clears throat> now a two-time winner. You know, with the Ryder Cup in Rome next season, he didn't come over and play a for us. I don't know you know, where he's at, even though he is our tour and pro of the K Club, I'm not, you know, privy to his innermost thoughts. So I think Luke Donald had a chat with him at the start of the week and, you know, it's all changed now with another win. So hopefully we can look forward to, you know, maybe three Irish guys on, on the Ryder Cup team, which hasn't happened since since all six of the K Club. So, uh, you know, it's just great. It's great for him. He's an, as you know, he's an absolutely cracking fella and you can only wish good things for him. Well, you can only wish good things for him is right. But And even on Sunday, he showed all his class. I mean, he, he tees off in front. They're not gone that far, and he's a couple of shots behind, but it never seemed to phase Seamus Power. He just seemed to be able to turn it on and grind his way to winning. He did, and, and like, you know, it's like, you know, more than most really when you're going out on, you know, on a half favourite, it does add that little bit of pressure. And he was, you know, the, the pre-favourite at the start of the tournament, um, you know, and was the favourite going out on Sunday, but the conditions were so tough, you know, it was so easy to just have a, you know, a, a kind of slip away, fall away day without doing a whole lot wrong. Um, and when it's blowing that hard, it just adds adds to the pressure. And you saw the mix of shots coming in, you know, with bogeys and birdies. Um, but he did show his medal, um, and he'll be absolutely thrilled with that, because he went, he went through a kind of funny summer, he was making a few, not changes to his swing, but a few little tweaks here and there just trying to as they all are you know because there, there's so much information out there nowadays they're always trying to get that little bit of an edge um, and he had a bit of different form with it because it does take time to make changes but to do it under the gun on Sunday um, and produce the finish that he did even though there was a mix in it because you know mistakes were going to be made it was impossible you know with the breeze blowing, blowing that hard not to make mistakes but he was absolutely thrilled um, he's back at it this week in my COVID in Mexico so there's no rest for the wicket but um, he'll, he'll enjoy his time in Mexico this week and, and try to continue to improve and um, you know give it another crack you know with two time winners is a big, big difference to to uh, a one win so he'll be thrilled with himself and I hope to see him I hope he comes to to Dubai maybe at the end of the year if he's going to do South Africa I'm not sure where he's at but it'd be nice to see him you know kind of cement his position in Europe too because he's a you know, he's up to 32 in the world now, so he's a serious operator. Well, speaking of Sunday, this is uh, Seamus Paris speaking after that one-shot victory. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. You know, it's it's kind of a funny thing. I didn't really pay attention to world rankings until I got into, like, the top 100 in the world. And now it, it becomes very, very relevant, you know, even close to the match play. And then as, obviously, the cutoff for some of the majors starts approaching. So it's nice to be able to kind of get a bump away from that 50. Um, it, it's nice, you know, it just it opens up so many doors, you know. It's all of a sudden, like, you're looking and you're changing your schedule and you're, like, you're, you're going to add Maui and tournaments like that. And even knowing that you're going to be in the playoffs and all this kind of stuff, you know, it's just... 
it makes things a lot simpler, that's for sure. You're not looking, not, not as if you're doing it all the time, but you're certainly sometimes looking over your shoulder a little bit, especially because I was up maybe in the 30s and I just hadn't played great since like the middle of the summer. So as you said, just slipping down, down, and you know you know the cutoff for the top 50 is coming up soon. There's not much golf left in the year. So it's nice to get away from that for sure. And just kind of, it'll definitely like clear your thoughts, clear your mind going forward. So up to a career high, 32 in the world rankings, Gary, and eight on Europe's Ryder Cup points list. And I know you alluded to there, it'd be great to see uh, another Irishman uh, compete in the Ryder Cup. And he's been backed into 14-1 to 1 from 20-1 to 1 to win any of the four major championships in, in 2023. So, like, how good can, can Seamus get? Is the best yet to come? Well, it, you know, and that's where the conversation goes all the time. And you're know, winning regular events, you know, the next step up is majors. Um he, he can. There was, there was an amazing stat out there with the with the way the world rankings has been a huge change. So it's going to get harder and harder to to climb them. Um, but it, it, you know the rankings are very important because they determine uh, you know how you get into these events. But and I you know I keep saying it all the time: if you win golf tournaments, it doesn't matter what your rankings are. You know that's what gives you that inner confidence, which can separate you. So he's got that extra win now. Um, you know, and the sky is the limit because. You can't you can't climb up these rankings or get the belief system if you're not in these events and he's in all these events and that's all he can ask for. And I think you know where he finishes off the season, I'm not sure, um, but he'll give it a good crack in, in Mexico this week. And it just makes it makes viewing so much better on a Sunday night when there's an Irish guy in contention. We had it with Rory last week, you know, and it was just great to see a good friend of mine, Brian Desmond, was out in Bermuda and. and Sure, he was, you know, screaming like a lunatic, and you could see the tricolours out there. So it's just great to see the Irish team so well on, on what is a world stage. Well, I really, nearly missed my flight on Saturday evening in Heathrow watching them. So Sunday afternoon was great watching too. Gary, thanks a million for taking our call. It is great to have three Irish golfers going as strong as we have. But it's time for a quick break. We'll be back with Kevin Manning. Game on. Racing. Welcome back to Game On. So this afternoon on a wet and windy evening in Galway, Kevin Manning brought down the curtain on a 39-year career that has included 36 Group 1 victories. It started back in 1983. It's ended in 2022. Shane, he was an incredible man and inspiration to watch him in the air. I'm a tall guy. His diet, his dedication, his commitment. Um, 39 years as a jockey. It's phenomenal, I think. Oh, no, it's absolutely, absolutely is. And Ruby, do you know what? Before we chat to Kevin himself, we actually hear uh, a bit of commentary on, on one of his uh, great great races and uh, one of his derby victories. Two and a half furlongs to travel. Dr. Fremantle moves to Kandahar run. Casual conquest, Tajaweed, Tartan Bearer down the outside in the pale colours. New approach, threading a passage. Dr. Fremantle passing the two from casual conquest down the outside. Tartan Bearer, new approach, heads back to the inside, has got the rail and he's right alongside. New approach on the inside, the outside. Tartan Bearer and it's new approach in the green by about half a length, wandering off a straight line. Tartan Bearer in second, but new approach keeping going all the way down out to the line, will see it out and win the Vodafone derby. New approach beat Tartan Bearer, casual conquest third, Dr. Fremantle fourth, then Washington Irving. Now they begin to race towards the two and the fast pace begins to tell and they start to close up. Kappa rushes, here comes trading leather, festive cheer, Galileo Rock, they're being followed by Little White Cloud, ruler of the world. Trading leather hits the front for Kevin Manning. Galileo Rock is staying on on the near side. In third is Kappa rushes, then festive cheer trading leather in front in second place Galileo Rock but up towards the finish 
It's trading leather is going to win it for Jim and Jackie Bulger. Kevin Manning wins the Dubai Duty Free Derby. So that was, of course, the English Derby and the Irish Derby. And I suppose his most famous success coming in, in that 2008 Derby at Epsom on New Approach, a horse on whom he also won uh, the Irish Champion Stakes and the Dewhurst. Uh, Manning and Bulger won the latter contest uh, for their four times then as well. Like 55 years of age, Ruby, and, and partnered up with, with Jim Bulger, who, of course, was his uh, father-in-law as well. It was a great partnership. Incredible. I mean, he wrote his first winner for Jim in 1983. He said, that means you've had one boss your entire life. That, that that's that's, that's incredible. He <laughs> might have ended up his father-in-law, but that, that's still some some uh, consistency, dedication, and uh, loyalty is the is the word that goes with it. I mean, how many people become one club players? Yeah, he was a one stable jockey. It, it's is, it is, is that phenomenal. trust? Like that's obviously you have to build build the trust. Yeah, he was started as an apprentice there, and then he was second jockey to Christy Roach. And when Christy moved on to take the job in Ballydoyle, Kevin got the job in in James. And I'm delighted to say the weather has abated a bit, and we've gotten Kevin on the line. <laughs> as we had to talk about you there, Kevin. But Kevin, I want to say well done. What a career, and what a way to bow out. Congratulations. Thanks, Ruby. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Uh, Kevin, we were just talking about you. I mean, you, you know, as your first winner for Jim back in 1983. We talk about people being one club footballers. You've been a one stable jockey your entire life. Yeah, I spent all my life there, and um, you know I'm very grateful to Jim and Jackie. Um, they stood by me through thick and thin, and we had a lot of success up and down. And uh, yeah, look, it's just it's just great to end up at the end of 40, a forty-year career and bow out on 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 a horse. Uh, trained by Jim and owned by Jackie and that meant an awful lot to me because um, that's where I started that's where you started I know exactly what it means to you but what a career it was look we can talk about the new approach Tiafilio Alexander Goldrun Poetic Flair Fishgel Bio you came across some great horses as well and the big days the big days make anyone's career Kevin and you had a lot of them yeah look we had some, some great days and some great horses and um you know, we derbies, guineas, the Philly in Hong Kong was a very special day um, for Jim to travel her up the whole way to Hong Kong. Uh, a three-year-old taking on the, the older horses in Hong Kong was was a big deal. And, and uh, close the right side of it, I thought. I thought that was one of one of Jim's best training achievements that I, that I can remember. That, that, was, that, that took a bit of doing. It did take a bit of doing. Kevin, most people think about what a jockey's life is like. You have lived one of the most disciplined lives of anybody I know. Are you looking forward to a little bit of indiscipline or are you still going to be that lean, mean man that you st- that you are? Well, you know, really, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you were tired and you were very disciplined and, um, you know, you, you lived one life and so on. I actually don't know any different. Um, I'm sure it's going to be different, um, but it's not like I'm I'm looking forward to having a big breakfast or a big lunch or a big dinner or whatever the case may be. It's it's just a way of life with me and has been for the last forty years. And um, okay, it was it was probably more difficult in the in the early days and probably in the last ten or fifteen years. I just got into a routine and and that's the way it was and. It was very good when I used to go home the evenings. You know, you'd, you'd set meals and it was just a routine and I, I, I genuinely can't see it much different in the future. 
Yeah, but set meals, Kevin, I know your lifestyle. Set meals were nothing for breakfast, maybe lunch, a pretty small dinner. Your your routine, your lifestyle was, was very disciplined. Um, surely, surely breakfast is going to come into the equation. <laughs> yeah, I tell you right, Ruby. <laughs> you know, I just, I just, you know, you get into a routine over a long period of time, but yeah, I'm actually looking forward to not running down the stairs in the morning in my boxers and running into the sauna, hopping up in the scales and wondering what weight I am and coming back into it and saying, you know, I'll have toast and tea or coffee or whatever the case may be. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That, that I'll have what? toast and tea or coffee every morning. Well, I hope you do enjoy it and I can't wait to go for a dinner with you where you actually have a drink and dinner rather than one or the other and we'll definitely have that soon Kevin Safone from Galway well done in a magnificent career Shane will you break the take or is Alan Colley chomping at the bit Alan Colley is chomping at the bit it was great to chat to, to Kevin uh, Manning there but Ruby I have to ask what was what was your indiscipline or ill-discipline after you retired you know you're, you're probing questions there yeah, I know. Look, Kevin Manning's discipline. I mean, he's. I was always the wrong side of ten stone or there thereabouts of ten stone. Kevin has kept himself somewhere around eight, nine, eight, ten. And I've been with him several times socially, Shane, where Kevin may have a couple of glasses of wine. But if he had the wine, he would most certainly not eat. And if he ate, he would definitely not consume alcohol. He his his commitment, his dedication. He was just phenomenal how he went about his life. And you, you don't stay in the saddle that long. Like I assume, no, you can't. It's it's, it's phenomenal to, to to read the amount of winners he's written and how long he stayed. Look, you talk about different people, and you're not talking about people since the turn of the century where fitness trainers have become nouveau, etc. The man is doing it since the mid '80s. Ruby, can I just jump in there? Sorry, and Kevin mentioned that it's just become a way of life, and that's all he knows. When you've since you've retired, has it maintained? Has it stayed the same for you, a way of life, or have you changed up a little bit? No, and this is a low he's right. Um I still eat twice a day. Um old habits die hard, I suppose, Alan. But um it it is tough you become I don't know, institutionalised, mm. is that the word? Yeah, well it's just the routine I suppose that you've lived it for so long and, and, and yeah. it becomes the norm, I suppose. I tell you what's becoming the norm. Most talking about Liverpool getting beaten. <laughs> <laughs> we never get sick of it, though. That's, no, that's, that's a proper segue, Ruby. That's a proper segue. Do you know what? We we will be chatting just to uh, tee up Pearl Slattery. We will be uh, we will uh, be chatting to Pearl very very shortly. But as Ruby mentioned there, let's start with Liverpool then, Alan. They're uh, in different form. It's it's honestly, Shane. Like you, 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 we come in here and speak every week, and normally I'd have a, a strong view or an opinion or a theory on what's going on or what what's happening at, at several clubs. But it's so hard to put your finger on this Liverpool situation at the moment because they're so up and down. And to be losing not only Saturday night to Leeds, the week before to Nottingham Forest, yet to put in a good performance in Europe in between that, mm. the previous week to beating Man City, who were beaten all before them, and West Ham. So it's just so, so hard to put your finger on it. They had their chances. Uh, Leeds, I felt... As we, as I mentioned to you on Friday, Shane, I thought Jesse Marsh is basically on the verge of losing his job had he lost on uh, Saturday night, and I fully expected that. I didn't think they would win at all, uh, but to put in a good performance, rode their luck a little bit. The keeper had to perform when when you wanted him to, pulled off a few good saves. But I said Liverpool had their chances, but then they were caught out with such a sloppy goal at the end. And for all the talk about Van Dijk and how good he is, the one 
criticism I have he's so passive in his defending at times Shane and once the ball kind of is cut back initially the, sh- the cross should never come in Curtis Jones and Milner out in the, the right hand side but once the pullback comes in you have three Liverpool players around this goal mm. scorer Thiago, Van Dijk but none of them make a challenge not one of them and particularly Van Dijk and somebody who with the stature that he has and he's so dominant in, in what he does he's so passive at times in his defending which must be a major worry for um, Klopp at the moment well, we can hear from uh, Jurgen Klopp now, who was uh, asked in a post-match press conference whether his team still wants it as much. After all the things they answered now, you ask me that question. Fight. Well, you think I want to see now that we, that we start um, um, passing around them back heels um, and, and bicycle kicks and these kind of things? Of course not. We have to work and we will. That's what, and for that, we have to make sure that the boys we, we line up are ready to do that and then... We will do it, and then we will see what we get for it. The problem is, Napoli will fight as well. So, but that's fine. That's Champions League competition, highest level. How is that? Really, a team in top form in the moment. Whatever they, whoever they line up, they can make changes. Each striker scores, and, and all these kind of things. That's their situation. Yeah, that situation as well, from time to time. So I'm not jealous or whatever. It's fine, well deserved. But we have to be the opponent they don't want to face. But in the moment, I think. The boot in the Napoli camp is pretty good, rightly so. They think, okay, let's let's give them the next knock and we have to fight against that. Alan, they're already qualified. They're fighting for top spot now um, in the group in in Europe as well. Like, how how much pressure is on them for for a performance and kind of a response? Because we saw it after the the Forest loss and then they redeemed themselves midweek now and now they're coming off the back of another Premier League uh, defeat. Yeah, there is pressure on them, Shane. Absolutely, there's pressure on any player or any manager when you're at the top clubs because the expectation is always that you have to win every single match but when you're in a run of form that Liverpool are on at the moment it only heightens the pressure um, and even though they're facing Napoli as you said they've qualified already mm. but it's important that you get top spot in terms of maybe the draw afterwards as well um, so it's really important but I think obviously because the form has been so indifferent there's massive pressure on them at the moment and, and as I said it's so hard to put your finger on it if it was an easy fix they would have fixed it by now but they're so up and down and this has been a, uh, the story of the season so far and what are we kind of three months into the season now at this stage so he must have worries he can hear it in his voice you know when the top fellas are irritated by, by questions that the media are asking him as well and for as much as I like Klopp and he deals with the media quite well he gets irritated very easily as well and that's a sign of the pressure that he's under at the moment as well Funny, I was thinking if I was under the pressure he's under, I would have bitten the head off the fellow that asked me the que- that asked me the question we just listened to. I, I thought he did really well with it. Yeah, he's not far off probably doing that. There's a bit of restraint there. I ah, know. I'm sorry. I'm going to stand up here for journalists in the company here of two former professional sports people. You have to ask those probing questions. Well, no, yeah. we didn't say he couldn't ask it. I'm just saying my answer definitely would have been a lot more severe than Jurgen Klopp's was. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I didn't you never had a hot head, Ruby. <laughs> no, don't lying. I definitely would have barked. Yeah, well, I don't. I um, yeah. I, I just think in his voice, he sounds a little bit irritated there. You know, but um, is, is that because well, of the question? The one thing you never question about a footballer, the biggest insult to a footballer or a player, is when you're questioning their character or their fight, and he's going to defend his players and stick up for that. But if you get to the stage where that question and there's some truth in it from people looking in from the outside, and mm. you can question a player's fight because if you look at a performance and think. The, the most basic thing that you can expect on a pitch no matter how good anybody is is that they run around and they work hard and all and you'd never accuse the Liverpool team of not doing that that's what they've been built on that's the worry I have for them at the moment is that they've been so rock and roll and so um, energised over the last three four years that maybe is that catching up on them at the moment 
and he's in that transitional period where he doesn't have the personnel that were always gung-ho in terms of the pressing and the, the all the stuff that we've heard about them over the years whereas now he's trying to integrate some maybe little ball players like Harvey Elliott but they don't press with the same intensity they want a Henderson or a Wijnaldum or Fabinho these lads do so there is a little bit of a transitional period going on as well Shane and that's something that maybe he has to look at himself in terms of the personnel and uh, does he dip into the transfer market they've spent a lot of money on Nunes and the jury is still out on him at the moment couple of chances again at the weekend didn't take them so they've, they've they definitely have concerns the whole Trent thing is an issue for them Van Dyke's form for me has been up and down as well so there's a lot of areas where he has concerns at the moment that he's trying to fix and that's why I suppose he does sound irritated he'll always defend him I wouldn't question her character at all I, I don't think that's the case at all I just think there's issues in terms of key players not playing at the level that they've played at for a long time Alan like you're saying you don't know how to fix it or put your finger on it but like just a simple one looking from the outside in is it not just shooting practice Nunes should have taken one of the chances he got. We watched the weekend before Van Dyke missed a couple of sitters. Maybe just Jorgen is a bit of shooting practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, if it was as easy as that, Ruby, yeah, they'd be at it all day long. And I'm sure they are and they're working hard, but sometimes then it goes back to the question of if you have an individual who's missing chances like Nunes at the moment and we're questioning the manager or Klopp having, like, is it down to the individual then missing the chances? And unfortunately for, for Klopp at the moment, he can't put himself out in the pitch and take those chances. So Nunes, as I said, the, the jury's out for him at the moment. There's, there's moments in games where you think he looks like a real kind of decent player and then there's moments, as you say, he's just not as clinical as what the likes of Asala has been or whatever. Um, and then it goes back to the question, if you kind of broaden it out a little bit, is the manager a, the, to blame for that or a fault? If there's if there's individuals making key mistakes defensively or if there's a, an individual missing certain chances, how much of the, the blame can you put on the manager for that? Absolutely. Bring back money. Simple. <laughs> yeah, well, he was, he was on, a huge Shane. loss. He's it's a, a simple fix. Loss. It's a simple fix. Well, listen, we're talking about character and uh, broadening the chat out about uh, serial winners and people who give their all on the pitch. And I'm delighted to say we're going to turn our attention to the Women's National League at home. And Pearl Slattery, Shelburne captain, joins us now. We will be chatting association football all the way to seven. So we will be getting back to the Premier League chat, don't worry. And giving a mention to Shamrock Rovers, of course, uh, who uh, were awarded the league trophy uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, defeating Derry City. But Pearl, Thank you so much uh, for taking the call. How are you? No problem. Thanks a lot. Hey lads. Uh, thanks for getting me getting me on. But um, yeah, unbelievable as you can imagine. Shane, uh, <laughs> I, you're I a bit. You're, you're sounding a bit you husky there. Your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this happened to me last year. You know, I must do a lot of singing. I don't know what it is because. Uh, but look, yeah. I mean, last year we probably went out for, for two days with the shock of it. But this year we kind of only celebrated Saturday night. But. Look what a night it was! Just an unbelievable line for the club, for everybody involved, and you have to you have to celebrate it, don't you? But definitely, I'm exhausted today, like mentally, physically. You know, yourself when you're playing a sport, like build up to last week's game. Even you know, you're thinking about it constantly. So it's it's nice today just to be chilling out, and I suppose just really hitting everybody today because the weekend just a crazy one after it happens. But uh, yeah, an unbelievable time. Just to further elaborate, for anyone who may have been living under a rock uh, over the weekend, of course, Shelburne <laughs> claiming back-to-back Women's National League titles after a dramatic final day victory away to Wexford Utes, uh, just the third league title in the club's history, although the caveat of that is, of course, Shelburne's amalgamation with Rohini United and the fact the league has only existed in its current form since 2011. And, and Pearl, you mentioned there that you were only able to celebrate on Saturday evening because you're back training this morning and you've a small matter yeah. of a FAI Cup final uh, this weekend. Yeah, that's a, you know, we, we had a nice Saturday, you know, an unbelievable performance from the girls and uh, 
we were all in Tolkien yesterday, believe it or not, supporting our 17th then, who won their league as well, which is brilliant. And then, yeah, we were up this morning training at 11 o'clock. So, uh, looking forward to the Cup. Another big performance needed. You know, the story of that long season now is just incredible. The fact they finished second in the league now. Um, and look, we've been pretty even, I suppose, against them in, in, in the league. We've beaten each other once and drew a game. So, we're going to have to put in another top performance. Definitely won't take for granted, but make no doubt about it. You know, we wanted double this year. We felt last year that we probably didn't show our best selves. I think we did Saturday night, definitely in a, in a game where we were under immense pressure. Um, that was us, you know, and we want to do that again um, for the cup final. And we, we'd love to double, but look, we know it won't be easy. But as I always say, if we're on it, um, we're also very hard to beat. So yeah, all, all guns blazing now for the cup final on Sunday. Pearl, how do you think you'll keep yourselves grounded is the wrong word but not put yourselves under so much pressure that you don't perform how do you go about keeping yourselves enjoying it open to it do not doing what you did last year yeah look I think you have to enjoy the build up enjoy that you know that's what I've been saying to the girls look will be the last few three four weeks we've been under immense immense pressure you know we have to be a DLR side a Sligo side who've shown us that they're very tricky and then go down to Wexford and, and beat them you know in their own backyard if you want and to do that you know to play under that pressure but for me it was a big thing that you know you have to enjoy these moments enjoy that or up there fighting for the two titles that's what you want you know when you, you start every league campaign no, you know make no doubt about it the league title is what you want definitely not just for the, you know, the European glory, if you like, or the, you know, the experience. For me, it's it's the most consistent team over nine, ten months. That's why you give up, you know, everything really. That's why we commit. That's why we're in three times a week. You miss out on things with your family and friends. So, big thing for me the last few weeks, this week as well, and coming into the cup, you have to enjoy these moments and just look. Other teams, like you know, I know I know a lot of the girls around the league. They're a bit hands off to be in their position, and that's the way I kind of face it with the girls. We have to be excited about this enjoy it and we'll definitely stay grounded we'll give Atlanta the utmost respect and we want to be on it we want to show ourselves as I said to you we didn't really feel like we did last year we had a good decent first half but you know we're probably just a little bit better than us in the second half and we want to go back to talent now and put in a complete performance like we did Saturday night and I think we're ready for it and as I said look you stay grounded absolutely because we have respect for every team in the league and Funny enough, look about the league, you know, we were 11, 8 points clear. That's all I've been hearing the last few weeks and it's haunted me. I've nearly lost sleep over it, but I knew I'm around the league long enough. I knew we weren't going to, you know, win it by a large margin. I would have liked it, of course, but, um, you know, other teams are just going to have the day. They're going to be better than you. Some days are going to be good and not get the results you want. And that, that's what happened to us during a little dip. But for most of the season, we were, especially the first half and a lot of the second, we were unbelievable and, I think, you know, the, the league table doesn't lie. Um, and then to win, as I said, the last three weeks, the last three games under that pressure, it's just immense, Ruby. So, look, we'll just enjoy this week. Like, we've enjoyed the last two or three weeks, even though we're under that pressure. And I uh, hope to put in a great performance uh, on Sunday for everybody involved at the club. Pearl, you were very emotional, very passionate in your post-match interviews. And now these are the words of Rachel Graham on a picture on Twitter, not mine. So don't be barking at me now. But she did post a picture saying golden oldies with yourself, herself and Noel Murray. So in terms of experiencing it and, and enjoying it and the emotion of everything, does it mean that bit more at this part of your career? I think so, Shane, yeah. Because look, 
the likes of, I know I know what tweet you're on about the likes of me and the right? You've been around a long time with the experienced ones if you like and look the younger girls around the squad definitely keep us young. But it's always because, you know, before last year, Shane, it was two thousand sixteen we last won our league title with Shells and you start to question over the years, you know, will you ever get to experience that again? Because, look, the league has gone from strength to strength. There's been some unbelievable stories this year, you know, just beating out alone, Sligo coming to the league, holding their own, and the other top four or five who pushed us all the way. So, definitely did question for a few years, because, look, that was another thing, you know, last last year when we won a so dramatically, so many people spoke about P-Mount slip-up, and, and rightly so, but, you know, we were... We were there when they did slip up, but two or three years before that, we were, you know, runners up. We were runners up by a point, by a goal at times, by a playoff situation. So for me, we deserved it just as much as anybody else last year. But nobody could question it this year. You know, the difference with last year was it was over your hands going into the last game. And we knew this year we'd get it back into your hands at some stage. We just had a feeling we would. And when we did, we weren't going to let it slip. And we, we proved to everyone, you know, we, we win when it matters. And, um, but definitely, the more years you're around, Shane, as I said, for a while after 2016, I thought, will I be lucky enough again to win another one? And that's where last year was just, it really was special. But I have to say, Saturday night is right up there with it, the way we went down to Wexford, the performance. Um, but the season, you know, we lost, as you know, the likes of Chloe Mustaki, Saoirse Neon and uh, Jessica Zoo. Um, and I, I said a Saturday night, I don't think many teams in the country are still competing when you lose that calibre of player mid midway through your season never mind up there and winning things but a lot of respect that's how I sum up our squad our young girls you know like Eva Kelly Leah O'Leary who's played their part this year and if we're all honest you know I think the girls would have liked to play their part but they played a hell of a lot more than they even thought they would and they've just done unbelievable and you know the rest of the squad players like Taylor White Kate O'Dell that's the brilliant thing about our squad yeah the 11 or 15 who come on Saturday night played their part but this was a squad effort. Absolutely every player in their squad now has, has played a part. And look, I don't know, it's just I'm honoured to captain this group and I have great pride in, in representing the club and, and the girls and all the staff and everybody, Shane, as you well know, who, who helps us out, digs us out, at, you know, match days, whether it's Johnny with the kit, the stewards, the girls at the gate, you know, the, the chip fan, all that sort of stuff. It was for everybody Saturday night, but... I have to say, Saturday night was just as sweet as last year. It was just as sweet as my first one. Um, it was unbelievable. Well, Pearl, you mentioned there you, you weren't sure if you're going to be lucky enough. I don't think it had to do with luck. It certainly comes down to hard work, dedication, that uh, that only show in town ethos. So, listen, Pearl Slattery, thanks so much for taking the call uh, on this bank holiday evening and uh, very best of luck uh, come Sunday. Thanks, million. Cheers. So that was Pearl Slattery, Shelburne captain, uh, as I mentioned there, Shelburne, Women's National League champions and Shells play Athlone Town on Sunday in the Women's FAI Cup final match you can see live on RT2 television. However, uh, I did promise we we're going to still be chatting uh, soccer and that is exactly what we're doing. Uh, so from Liverpool to, where do you want to go, Ruby? Manchester United? Manchester United, yeah. had a good yeah. header from Rashford, the hair kept them in it. Um, they're getting results, Alan, I suppose, grinding them out. Is that the best way of putting it? Yeah, they are, Ruby, and that's a good sign because um, how often have we seen Man United over the last number of years going through the troubles that they have and games like that that end up drawing or losing. But the one thing that has impressed me so much about them as well, um, and it's and it's a good thing to have in a team as well, is that they're building that character and resilience in games like that where they're all digging in. You can see what it means to the players after the match, them all going to De Gea. I think Dallow and Martinez over. And um, that's something that hasn't been there 
as I said, over the last probably three or four years where um, you can almost see that unity building because that's when it comes down to he can have all the ability in the world as you know Ruby but when it comes down to the hard days or the days when things are not going well for you that's what you fall back on and that's what you rely on that bit of character and resilience and it's good to see as I say in the early part of Ten Hag's reign that they're building that up, that up amongst themselves and there certainly looks to be a good team spirit amongst them there most certainly does Arsenal rampant they marched on 5-0 winners big game next weekend for them if they can beat Chelsea next weekend Alan they will go to the World Cup break on top of the Premier League yeah, huge, uh, and they were so impressive again yesterday, albeit Nottingham Forest, as we know, have, have had a tough start, even though they, they beat Liverpool last week. So you'd expect Arsenal to get the victory, but they were very emphatic in what they have what they achieved yesterday as well. But the worry for them is Saka going off injured because you don't want to lose him. The one thing, I don't see Arsenal as winning the league, but I do see them finishing in the top four. But I see if they're going to challenge City for as long as possible throughout the season they have to keep all their key players fit because I don't think the strength and depth is there to maybe carry a title challenge for the whole season against City and one of their key ones is Saka he's absolutely outstanding player brilliant brilliant player I love watching him and if um, if he's injured now for a period of time he'd be a massive low but as you said big game next week and if they were to win that to go into the World Cup period top of the table it's been some turnaround for Arteta and we've praised him a lot on the show myself included I think he's done a great job Ruby um, and they're there on merit they've been absolutely outstanding for all the talk of Man City I think Arsenal have been the story of the season and I've said that two or three times I think they've been absolutely brilliant I'd love to play back the one of you slagging our tail. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, hold on, Ruby. On, on, on Friday, as he alluded to, was, Jesse Marsh is gone by Monday. We were going to be chatting yeah, about well, Jesse Marsh. If he lost. If he lost. <laughs> was a second coming. Arteta was an imposter. Something around those lines. No, I never said that. Never said that. That's the shortened version, but I'm going to dig it out. I must get on to the producers. Well, Tuchel done well, to be fair, and Arteta's turned around now. So credit where credit's due, Ruby. Well, do you know what, Jens? Unfortunately, we have to leave it there, and that gives us perfect time for Andrew O'Connor, our producer, and broadcast coordinator Laura Lee Davis to go through the archives now and dig that clip <laughs> out okay so so next time we'll be chatting you'll, you'll be hearing that but unfortunately shit, hey, that is all we have time for Alan Colley thank you very much Thanks, uh, for popping into the studio Ruby it has been great to have your company and likewise Shane enjoy the rest of your Halloween night <laughs>